Well, good evening. I hope everyone is doing well. I'm really excited as we continue our discussion on Christ and culture. And in, in this part of the study, we've been focusing primarily on the LGBTQ community and movement. Uh, and we've, uh, so far in our study, we've uh, laid out the ground rules uh, for uh, as we dive deep into this uh, topic, some things that we need to keep in mind. And Again, I wanted to really encourage all of us, especially as Christians, uh, to be uh, really mindful of at least one particular uh, ground rule, and that is to avoid the extremes uh, that are often a trap for many who fall into, uh, who approach this topic. And one is uh, to uh, see um, those in the LGBTQ community as uh, the enemy, as as people to war against. We're not fighting against these people. We're trying to love these people. We're fighting for these people, uh, and we're fighting against uh, the uh, spiritual forces in the world that are seeking to blind people uh, to God's will and, and God's love for them. Uh, and so uh, we need to avoid seeing them as the enemy. But then the other extreme is we need to make sure that we don't whitewash, whitewash uh, the LGBTQ lifestyle and act as though it's perfectly fine, there's nothing wrong with it, and that it's completely within God's will. Both of those are two extremes that so many people get trapped in, and I don't want us to fall in either one of those. I want us to find that that uh, straight, narrow uh, path that's in the middle uh, of loving people where they are, but also calling them to uh, uh, what God has, the, has for them and, and uh, his good plan for their life. And so uh, that is, that is going to be our, our goal going forward. Last week, we looked at the history of the LGBTQ community and people, and we saw that there were some, um, <clears throat> there, there were some difficulties, there were some hardships, uh, that it has been pervasive uh, throughout uh, much of culture, not in the way that it is today. Um, uh, and, and most of the cultures in the past, it was more of a status thing of dominance versus submission, whereas today it's more just um, uh, free license uh, to love whoever, whenever, however you want. Uh, and so it is, there are differences, but this type of behavior has been around for a while. And we see that it's uh, either grown or been pushed to the margin, depending on where Christianity uh, um, lies in that given culture at that period of time. And so going forward, what we're going to do, what I hope to do, is look at many of the myths uh, that surround this culture. Now that we understand the ground rules, now that we kind of see the background and how it's played out throughout human history, now we want to look at many of the, the ideas and the perceptions that are being pushed out there in the world today of um, what people believe to be true about LGBTQ communities and lifestyle, uh, but are in fact myths. There are things that aren't true. There are things that trip us up. There are things that are pushed upon us to achieve an agenda. And this can be found in the world, but um, it can also be found in the church. There are some lies, there are some myths that even within the church community, we believe about the LGBTQ community and people and movement. And so we want to approach both of those. Now, uh, we could probably spend a great deal of time on uh, all of these, and the list can continue to grow and grow and grow. I'm going to try to uh, trim it down to just the, the top myths that we deal with. I don't want to uh, draw this out any longer than we have to, but I also don't want to rush this because this part of the study is very practical. This is where a lot of the things you hear as you're uh, talking around the water cooler at work, as you're interacting with neighbors, friends, family members, as you 
uh, watch uh, TV or listen to uh, the, the radio or podcast or whatever. These are the things that you're going to hear a lot, uh, that you're going to hear over and over and over again. And it's what's being taught to our children. It's what's being indoctrinated into an upcoming generation. And we need to know what the truth is and what scripture says about it, what logic and reasoning and science says about it, and how to counter a lot of these myths. And so I don't want to rush this part of our study, um, but I don't want to drag it out either. And so we're going to uh, we're going to see how long this takes us. I'm, I'm not putting a time limit to it. Uh, we'll probably co cover about maybe one myth uh, per week so we can spend sufficient amount of time with it. And then we'll kind of wrap that up and then we'll move on to um, uh, racial injustice. Uh, part of our studies. But uh, this week, what I want to do, <clears throat> we'll, uh, uh, we'll address the first myth that I want us to take a look at. And this is very pervasive in the world around us. This is one that you hear about quite a bit. And it's been around for a while, at least uh, for as long as I can remember. And it's the idea that um, you are born homosexual, that people who are in the homosexual lifestyle, those who, <clears throat> those who, um, identify with homosexuality, those who um, uh, feel same-sex attraction, that you are born this way. This is a part of who you are. Um, and um, this is a part of your just makeup. There's nothing you can do about it. There's nothing you can change about it. This is the, fundamentally uh, who you are as a person. You see this over and over again throughout culture. It's being harped on uh, quite a bit. And it really propped up uh, in a big way back in the uh, 1990s, early 1990s, with a geneticist by the name of Dean Hammer. Now, Dean Hammer, he was going around looking for what he called, quote-unquote, the gay gene. Uh, you may have heard of this idea of the gay gene. It's just this idea that within our human genome, within our DNA, uh, the very makeup of who we are, there is this homosexual um, part of us. And if we could isolate what that is, uh, then we could uh, say, okay, this person is homosexual, that person is not homosexual. It's all based on your physical makeup and characteristics. Uh, many people in the homosexual community were really excited about this because then it would show that homosexuality is uh, unchangeable, that it, it is a part of who we are. There's no need to uh, try to change this part about us, and it would um, be a buffer against any kind of discrimination uh, that may come their way. Now, let me be the first to um, say, I am not a fan of discrimination. Um, I do uh, do not think discrimination discrimination is something uh, that we need to approve of, condone, or make room for in our culture. But let's also be very clear: uh, that word discrimination is thrown about a whole lot in our day and time. Uh, nearly everything is. Um, in the eyes of some people, a form of discrimination. And so it's, it's overused, it's overapplied uh, to various things, uh, and we need to be very careful how we define our terms and how we talk about discrimination. You know, uh, some people would say uh, that uh, the baker a few years back who wouldn't bake a wedding cake for the same-sex couple that was getting married, that that was a form of discrimination. Uh, people are now saying that if you argue against transgender people being able to use the bathroom of their choice, then that is discrimination. Some people would say uh, that much of what I uh, am saying on uh, this podcast or on this um, this this study on uh, this video study that we're doing on Facebook, that this is a form 
of discrimination. I think it is over applied and we need to be very careful. When you have those conversations, make sure you agree uh, what the terms mean. Now, going back to what we were originally saying about uh, people being born homosexual, even though uh, Dean Hammer was trying to find this quote unquote gay gene, uh, people over the years have spent millions of dollars and countless hours trying to isolate where this gay gene is and what this gay gene is, but they have failed to find any kind of uh, evidence of a physical characteristic, a physical genome uh, that uh, points to homosexuality, that makes someone homosexual. And that is because no one is born homosexual. I want to be really careful here because, uh, and, and we'll get into this a little bit more. When I say that no one is born homosexual, I am not saying that uh, that people are not born uh, with homosexual desires. I do believe, and we'll, again, we'll get to this a little bit le uh, later, so hold on for those who, who get um, a little uncomfortable with this. I do believe that there are people who are born with homosexual desires, homosexual attractiveness, uh, things of that nature. That does not make them homosexual. In the same way that there are some people who are born with a, uh, a propensity towards lying or towards stealing or towards pride or towards you know whatever uh, particular sin you want to talk about, but that doesn't mean that they are born a liar, born a thief, born uh, self-righteous or born prideful or whatever it may be. When we begin to identify people with a particular sin or with a particular uh, behavior, I think we're uh, getting off track. People are, can be born with homosexual desires, but that doesn't mean that they are born homosexual. All right, So we need to, re again, be really clear about how we define our terms. There is no physical evidence that people are born homosexual and that can be change. In fact, there's more evidence within various studies that one of the predominant influences of homosexual behavior is not any physical characteristic within people, but more of environmental uh, ex um, uh, factors, uh, you know, being born without a, a strong male role model in the house or uh, any kind of um, uh, you know, sexual abuse that a person may experience at a certain time or whatever it may be, uh, that life experiences and environment play more factor in uh, um, people getting into that lifestyle than a physical characteristic, a genome, a thing that, um, that drives us and is, is unchangeable within us. Now, with that said, people also uh, when they weren't able to find a, a gay gene, they looked elsewhere for other evidence, another form of evidence that people point to uh, that homosexuality is natural, that it's unchangeable, is the idea that we see homosexual behavior within the animal kingdom. And people point to uh, the fact that you can find various animals who engage in homosexual acts like giraffes, dolphins, lions, various primates, they've all been shown uh, with male-on-male -male sexual acts or female-on-female -female sexual acts. And they point to that and they say, ah, you see, even in the animal kingdom, it's natural. They, they do it. And they do it for various reasons. Not all of it is for sexual gratification. Sometimes it's for dominance, but sometimes a hierarchy within the, the, um, the community of that particular animal group, whatever it may be. But they would say, ah, see, it's natural. And so just like it's natural for animals, it's natural for people as well. And this makes sense if you take God out of the equation. And that is what many people have tried to do throughout the years. They take God out of the equation. They say that God did not create people, uh, but we all evolved from the same source. 
people are just a highly evolved animal. We evolved from primates. And so if man is just an animal and we see animals engaging in this, then it's natural for people to be able to engage in this as well. And I hope that when you hear that, we can all agree that, that is ridiculous, that we don't need to base our morality of right and wrong on what animals do. We can all look at uh, the animal kingdom and we can see examples of parents eating their young. And I, I would like to think that all of us agree that we should not start doing that in our civilization. Uh, you can see examples of animals attacking others and being very violent and warring against one another. Uh, I, I think we can all agree that that's not something that we should promote and that that's morally right. We can see examples of uh, um, sexual promiscuous, not just homosexuality, but animals during mating season going around and just trying to promote their genetic line. Um, and, and I don't think we want to encourage that in our civilizations as well. And so to look to the animal kingdom and say that that's an example of what we should be doing, I think is ridiculous. And, and uh, just like we wouldn't look at that in other areas of life, we shouldn't look at it when it comes to uh, homosexual lifestyle. Now, as people have tried to find more of a justification uh, that homosexuality is natural and argue against any kind of um, uh method that would change people from homosexuality to heterosexuality, um, there has been a push to ban what is called gay conversion therapy or just conversion therapy. And this is a therapy that has developed throughout the years. Uh, and, and admittedly, it has been very brutal and barbaric at times. There was a time when conversion therapy involved uh, giving electroshock therapy to people. They would hook them up with various electrodes. They would show them uh, things that would stimulate homosexual thoughts and desires. Uh, and then they would shock uh, the person to try to condition them to associate homosexual de desires with pain. And so they would basically torture these people uh, out of their homosexuality. And then there was also attempts to do brain lobotomies where they would go in and they would sever parts of the brain and cut out parts of the brain, especially in the prefrontal cortex where a lot of uh, the rational thought or a lot of um, various desires are, are found. And they would try to to change people by changing the makeup of their brain. And it, it was horrible. It would cause people to have all kinds of mental and physical disabilities and things like that. And it was right for us to um, push against that. But if we're to be honest with ourselves, nearly all medical techniques of the past seem barbaric by today's standards. Uh, there used to be times in the past where uh, there was a thing called bloodletting, where if you were sick, if you had any kind of ailment, and they would uh, cut you and they would drain bits of your blood out. They thought you had too much blood in your system. And so they would they would drain your blood or, you know, doctors would prescribe to people with asthma to smoke cigarettes, uh, thinking that the smoke would uh, open up uh, passages in their lungs and stuff like that. There are all kinds of just ridiculous uh, examples of medical treatments of the past. And so um, we don't need to just push aside conversion therapy just because it, like every other medical field, uh, had certain barbaric practices and foolish practices of the past. Uh, we can look today and see that there are examples of good conversion therapy. In fact, just here recently, I was reading an article in a newspaper, the, the Baltimore, the Baltimore uh, Sun, and it was there was an article in there about 
uh, an individual uh, by the name of Christopher Dole, who throughout his, his life, uh, he had struggled with homosexual desires. He didn't want to have that same-sex attraction. He fought against it. He didn't want to live that kind of lifestyle. And so he sought out a counselor uh, who uh, specialized in conversion therapy. And as he went through that therapy, he began to see progress uh, in, in steering away from homosexual desires and towards more heterosexual desires. And in the article, he actually gives a testimony. He says this. Uh, he said, the same sex desires just went away. He said, and today I'm married. I have two kids and I am so happy. He said, I've changed. I've been straight for eight years. So I know personally it works. I am living my dream. Now, again, I'll, I'll admit, Christopher Dole wanted conversion therapy. And so because he was desiring this kind of change, he didn't want uh, homosexual desires. He wanted to be heterosexual. And he found someone who could help him in that way. They were able to have success and, and be better. Now, there are some people who conversion therapy often is pushed on them, maybe by parents or a spouse or who, who knows, whatever. It's pushed upon the person. They don't want to really change. And so, therefore, uh, it, the, the conversion therapy doesn't work. But most uh, most people in the world today are pushing against conversion therapy that it needs to be banned across the board. No one should be allowed to engage in conversion therapy. In fact, uh, in 2013, over 20 states in 83 different cities made conversion therapy illegal. Even if you wanted conversion therapy, even if you hated same-sex desires, you didn't want to struggle with it anymore, and you wanted to be heterosexual, you could not find a counselor who uh, would be able to uh, guide you through conversion therapy. And see, I, I feel like um, that is wrong. I, I understand that we may need um, regulations to keep from unhealthy practices and, and the barbarism that's barbarisms that we've seen in the past, but if someone is wanting uh, this type of uh, therapy, if someone is wanting help with the struggles of homosexual desires, why would we keep them from counselors who can specialize and, and, and help them with this? In fact, as I was getting my uh, master's in pastoral counseling, I knew many counselors who were unsure whether or not they wanted to get uh, their license in counseling because they were afraid that if they did, that eventually their state or wherever they held their practices uh, to, to help people, uh, they would no longer be able to counsel according to their conscience, especially as it relates to same-sex uh, um, struggles, because their license would be removed and they would no longer have their livelihood. They would be prosecuted against. And that's happening more and more all across our nation. And we need to just be mindful of that, be careful of that. Now, I, I want to come back to a, a thought uh, that I mentioned a little bit earlier, but I want to kind of flesh it out a little bit more because this is really important as it relates to all of the, all that we've talked about uh, so far. And I really want to make sure, especially as Christians, we understand this. Some people are born with same-sex attractions. That is not that is not the same as people being born homosexual. People uh, are are born with certain sinful inclinations and desires. This should not surprise us as Christians, even though I've found oftentimes this thought makes Christians very uncomfortable. What we need to understand that when we fell as a human race, we were, all, the, all the world 
was bent and distorted, including our emotions, our desires, even our physical bodies. Just as though, just like there are people who are born with certain mental disabilities, with certain physical impairments and things like that, I believe that is a result of the fall. So also we are all born with certain sinful inclinations. Now yours looks very different from mine and mine looks very different from someone else. Some people may be more inclined towards lying, pride, theft, uh, sexual infidelity, whatever it may be, but we are all born um, with a sinful bent within us. And we need to understand that and we need to be sympathetic. There may be people that you know of who from a very early age showed signs of same-sex attraction. Uh, that does not mean they were born homosexual. It just means that they were born with a certain predisposition towards same-sex attraction. We don't need to <clears throat> We don't need to encourage people to identify uh, their identity uh, with uh, a particular sin. Okay, um, you may have a simple bent, but that does not mean that you are that sin. Now, let me also say that just because you feel a certain way, just because you're born with certain desires, does not excuse that behavior. Just uh, because. Just because you have same-sex attraction does not mean that that behavior or that lifestyle is okay or that it's within God's will or that it's excusable. Just because I feel a certain way and I have certain desires doesn't mean that it's therefore right for me to act out on that. Uh, I may be angry. That does not give me the right to go and, and punch somebody or to go and destroy property just because I feel angry. Now, in the wisdom of the world, that would be justified. In the wisdom of the world, well, you feel a certain way, and that feeling is natural. And we can look at the animal kingdom, and we see uh, animals with aggression and acting out and violence and things like that. So, yeah, sure, go ahead. Uh, live according to your feeling. That's the wisdom of the world. Now, God's wisdom, biblical wisdom is, even though you feel a certain way, does not mean you act out uh, based on that feeling. Uh, there are many men who... Uh, feel um, the desire to be sexually promiscuous. Uh, and by the world's logic, you feel that way. That feels natural. That feels right. We look in the animal kingdom. We see uh, that goes on as well. So therefore, it must be right. Biblically, uh, we would say, no, that's not right at all. Um, you may have that feeling, but that does not excuse or justify that behavior. And so we need to understand, just because someone may be born a certain way, does not mean that they therefore should just say, well, this is who I am. I identify completely and intrinsically with this feeling, and therefore I'm moving forward, and, and that's okay. We need to help people who struggle with this. This is why we, as Christians, I say that those the people caught up in the LGBTQ lifestyle, they're not the enemies. They, these are people who struggle with a sin inclination, much like each and every one of us do. And we need to Instead of pushing them, pushing them aside, making them feel like they are less than human, we need to come alongside them and say, hey, listen, I love you. God loves you. And even though you're struggling with this, I want to walk through this with you. I want to help you with this. And you are not alone in your struggle. And this may be a struggle they carry with them throughout their entire life, but you are willing to walk alongside with them and help them be all that God has called them to be. And so... As we take a look at this uh, myth of uh, you are born homosexual, I want us to just recognize people's um, uh, sin inclination is changeable. Through the gospel of Jesus Christ, this can be 
uh, fix. God brings healing to the pain, to the struggle uh, that we all face. And this sin is no different than any other sin as it relates to the gospel, being able to rescue it, redeem it uh, for the glory of God. And so I hope that as we wrestle with uh, th these thoughts, maybe some of this is new, maybe some of this is, is you know, you've heard it before, However it may be, I hope that this is, these are some tools that you can keep in your arsenal as you encounter uh, these, uh, these thoughts, this worldview and the world around you, <clears throat> and you use it to engage the culture for the glory of God. Now, we're going to stop there for this week. Next week, we're going to pick up right here where we left off, and we're going to cover our next myth as it relates to the LGBT community, and that relates to uh, your gender and the whole transgender movement. We're going to look at uh, the myth that your gender, how you identify it as a man, as a woman, or uh, the thousand other different genders that are now popping up uh, all over the place, uh, the myth that your gender is fluid or that it's on a spectrum uh, and that it can morph and mutate over time. And so uh, come back next week as we continue to dive deep into this and unpack uh, what is true biblically, scientifically. And I hope this, again, is a wonderful blessing for you as you seek to live out God's calling uh, for your life. Until then, take care and God bless.